Good afternoon. Welcome to the Conventional Sniper Podcast. I'm your spotter, Justin Coletti. So today we're in Denver, Colorado, and we're here for the U.S. Army Sniper Association and the Marine Corps Scout Sniper Association first ever gathering. And so when both organizations are coming together, uh, it's set to be a, a great uh, great event, great organization. There's some plenty of good snipers here today. We are at the Oxford Hotel, downtown Denver. Uh, so if you can hear some background noise, that's because we're literally right downtown and I've tried to edit everything under the sun for my speakers and uh, microphones, and I just can't get the background noise out of there, so I apologize. You're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, in addition, I've got uh, a good friend of mine, Jedediah Robbins, who I introduced in the first podcast. He was my first ever sniper section sergeant, so I've, he's, I've convinced him, kind of reluctantly at times, to come out here. And uh, so he's here for the, for the uh, gathering, and he's going to sit down with us. We're going to explain some stuff. Uh, so anyway, Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So if, if you don't mind, just explain your background so everyone knows, you know, the five W's about you. I'll just go over it real quick. Uh, came in the Army 2002, uh, medically retired 2018 as a Sergeant First Class, 11 Bravo Infantry. Uh, went through sniper school April 2010, Class of 0410. Ran a sniper section 2012-2013. I was stationed in Alaska, Fort Benning, Korea, and lastly, Kansas. And Kansas is where I ran the sniper section out of. Which is actually where, where I went through trials. So you were my first, like I said before in the first podcast, you were my first ever section sergeant. And, and coming, coming from my shoes to your section, initially when, when I went into the section, it was kind of like... A, uh, hey, you don't want to go to the snipers. It's you're a guy that can bend bullets, and you're a hot shot Hollywood. And you know, as I went through tryouts and got into the community, I realized that is that is not always the case. They're not always the hot shots. Everyone's got an ego. Don't get me wrong. Everyone has an ego. However, comma, there is a lot more to this, and it's obviously to show that the sniper is just not the average soldier. So, um, like, what what are some things that you were like? I know I went through the, the tryouts, but what were some things that you were you were looking for when we were going through tryouts? So really the first thing about tryouts, um, well, well, let me first start out by saying when I got to the unit, I was uh, put in front of the sergeant major. Sergeant major said, hey, you're my sniper section sergeant. I want a sniper section that's going to be top-notch, you've got the range, you report directly to me, make it happen. So I had a few individuals left over from a shattered section. Um, I had one uh, person, or one uh, E5 named Drew. He was an outstanding individual, combat trained, not 11, or not a Bravo 4 yet. So he, had, he hadn't been to sniper school, but he had done time in the section and had deployed with them and had been to combat as a, as a I the Marine, call, the Marine Corps would call it a pig. He hasn't been to school, but he's serving in the section. Correct. So he, he had the downrange experience in the sniper section, but he did not have his Bravo 4 identifier. Uh, I also had one other uh, specialist that had been downrange, same deal, and that was what I had to work with. Other than that, I was starting fresh, so I had to set up my tryouts, I had to go through some other information, and I had to 
completely set up what the idea was. So, so you were starting from ground zero, essentially, completely. other than just having some basic manning opportunities with guys with experience. Yeah. No, I, I, I had a few guys with downrange experience and then a few people that, ha- that just were there. I didn't even know why they were there. They were just there. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so you literally just have a, a, a melting pot of guys. Yeah, and I had to start out, make uh, a section out of it. So I uh, brought the minds together that I had. Uh, we created... Um, a list of kind of ideas of what we wanted, okay? So I had to realize what I was working with. First, I was working with a mechanized unit down at Fort Riley, uh, 1st Division mechanized. Um, I didn't have, like in the light infantry, where I would have a lot of numbers to draw from. In a mechanized infantry, there are people that are locked into duty positions, such as driver, gunner, combo, things like On that. On Bradleys and tanks. And that exactly. Sort of yeah. So, so, so those, they're this, in, in the mechanized world, what you're talking about is mechanized relies on vehicles. So you've got guys that are proficiently trained in their vehicles, and the unit's not going to want to lose that proficiently trained guy in a vehicle because it takes it takes a long time to get used to those vehicles. They're and not I wasn't they're not like your regular teams. Toyota pickup truck. You're just going to drive down the street. And and I couldn't break qualified teams, so it automatically wasn't allowed to take from half of the eleven Bravos that were in the battalion as it was. Where if it was a regular light infantry unit, I could take from any eleven Bravo, and it wouldn't be a big deal. Right. So I had to take into account that my pool from drawing one from was going to be very limited so I said okay well things that I can affect effectively work on later are physical fitness and shooting I can train somebody to shoot that's a task that is not terribly difficult to do and I prefer that they shoot my way versus whatever they've been taught anyway same with physical fitness. I can get them up to par so long as they have at least the basics. What I cannot sacrifice are the maturity level, their drive, their interpersonal relationships with each other, um, their communication skills, writing skills, speaking skills, problem-solving skills, uh, their math, their information retention skills, um, their ability to forward plan and think all of those problem solving skills that go into life were much more critical in the selection process than can they do a hundred push-ups in two minutes can they run you know a 13 minute two mile and can they shoot the bullseye out of a target every time i can teach those basic concepts but really i need to focus on the background education level of the individual prior to you coming in. So really what it, what it comes down to is... And the maturity. How, the experience the they've had as an individual and the background that they've, they've come from. They just need to, be, they need to be open to the concepts of learning, essentially is what you're saying. And they have to have the right dedication to fit into that lifestyle. This isn't something that you walk up to, say, oh yeah, I'll give it a shot, and get you half-ass do it. It's This is something you dedicate yourself to. It's difficult. It's You're going to be tried 
constantly, it's do or die. You have to give 100%. You need that personality in there. I, I would definitely agree with all those. And one thing that I, that I would say is, is kind of missing, although I do remember you bringing up in tryouts, is, is creativity. And as we know, creativity drives war. How can I think asymmetrically about my situation and how can I apply it? And that creativity drives maneuverability at times. And I would definitely say there are times that, that I saw the creativity in some guys during tryouts. And then there are other times that like some of the guys that didn't make it had no creativity. And then once I figured out, okay, these are the things that I want out of the individuals. Now, how do I put these individuals through a test to highlight whether or not they have that capability? So... Um, I'm sure you probably remember some of these tasks better than I do. Um, Kim's game right now. We're going to keep it in your memory. So yeah, we you were Kim's game in it. <laughs> we used to do a lot of uh, Kim's games. Um, which, which stands for keep in memory system. It's basically a way to um, improve your long-term and short-term memory. Yeah, essentially what it and is. we could go into a, a whole long podcast just on, on how to do those. Um, just a visual recogni- a visual retainability test. Yeah. Um, I see an object that retained in my mind for an X we, amount of time. We also uh, put you guys through a lot of hard physical training and then tempted you with food to see how would you react. Were, were you going to break your concentration um, based off of your own individual wants and needs or were you going to accomplish the mission? Where, where was your mindset at? Um, you probably remember those things better than I do. I do, actually. I remember we were <clears throat> on the side of a ridge. I think it's a ridge. It was a ridge on the side of uh, a Fort Riley. So Fort Riley's kind of set up into like two plateaus, essentially, right? And the top plateau is where all the infantry units are, and the lower plateau is where all the housing and the main area, the post are. And I remember sitting up there, we were in like four teams of three or three teams of four, or something along that combination, and we had the Barrett 50 cals. So we had the M2 Barretts up there. And you were like, yep, we're going to engage moving vehicles. Here's the moving vehicle that you're uh, trying to identify. It was like a red yeah, Toyota. We it was like a red or something. It like was like that. a red Toyota Corolla. And I remember looking at you having coming back from Afghanistan recently, like, do you know how many red Toyota Corollas there are? I need more detail than that. And you're like, just look for red Toyota Corollas. And I was like, uh, Roger. So I remember looking for Toyota Corollas and we're like four or five hours into this. <laughs> we just wanted to board the ship. Yeah, and we we're just four or five <laughs> hours into this. And it's just like, dude, this is, this is almost like a waste of time at this point. And all of a sudden like pizzas show up. And I was like, oh, man, pizza. I'm starving. And then I was like, no, this is a test. No one just brings pizza to this. Like, i got to yeah. pay attention. And I remember my team was like, all right, we're going to rotate out, observing, resting, eating, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, your team did really well with that. There were other teams that completely just fell apart and were like, oh, pizza, woo Let's do this. Let's take a break. Yeah, they, they they just lost it all. They went off into the corner, and completely broke down, and you know that we wrote down our little notes about that. And um, it's it's so simple to think that pizza would break. Like that's if you were to go to any like say you go to special forces selection, you're not getting pizza. But I bet you, if an SF guy or a cadre member for those selections brought pizza out to the candidates, 
they would see a whole different side of selection they've never seen before. Like, oh, there's pizza. Help yourself. It would be like the Band of Brothers stuff where, like, hey, you get spaghetti. And, and everyone's mowing down in spaghetti. It's supposed to be yeah, a light day. Like, hey, all right, cool. You're done with spaghetti? Ten-mile run. Let's and, go. And that's the kind of things that we were looking at were just how we could throw these curveballs in and how you would take them. Um, how would you creatively negotiate the obstacle? Exactly. Um, we did a bunch of, of tests like that, and um, eventually, I think the most important, absolutely the most critical one that we did was, because um, I was on the fence with a lot of these, these uh, young soldiers, but the one that absolutely drove it home for me was the written exam. Um, we had a, I want to say it was a 500 word essay or something to that effect of why do you want to be in section? And I could really tell just in the peop- the soldier's individual ability to write coherent sentences, their um, penmanship and their maturity level in the words that they were choosing. Um, one of the soldiers who's actually going to get selected uh, wrote down that he wanted to be in section to uh, to shoot dudes in the face or, or something, <laughs> something something crazy to, like to that. bullets in people's faces or something to that. I was like, oh yeah, dude, you you're not ready for this. <laughs> this is. <laughs> This is not your job. Um, That's more of like a machine gunner's attitude. Yeah, and he'd done well on the PT. He'd done well on some other stuff, but when it came right down to it, he um, he might as well have written that essay with a crown. And <laughs> the, the, the writing was very messy. The sentence structure was very poor. And he was talking about smacking dudes in the face with bullets. I'm just like, yeah, I can't put this in front of a commander and say, hey, trust us to go downrange, uh, the two of us, for an extended period of time without support. And, and no, no, he looks like a fool. Well, I would, I would also say that's that's um, it can as its pros and its cons. The cons being that that that's all that individual has. For their drive is like I just want to get into combat, and as a sniper, you have to have that maturity, you have to have that tactical understanding to not always engage. Just because you have a clear shot, say on an officer or a machine gunner, doesn't mean that you should engage. Because in the the second and third order effects of that is if I engage someone, you set in motion a whole string of interconnecting webs that change. And you change, you literally change destiny by one dollar worth of ammunition going down range. And you can't just be like, hey, I'm going to engage everything that moves. Like, and, that's that's going to hurt a lot other, of people. And your other mission objective is to gather and report battlefield intelligence. And if you can't come across as an intelligent human being that can articulate what it is you have seen then you are not going to have the confidence of your commanders 
and that intelligence that you gathered is going to be rendered useless no matter how good it is. So you need to really be able to back up what you say with confidence so that uh, the intelligence gets used on the battlefield appropriately. And right having, place, right time. Yeah, right place, right time, but having a poorly written essay or intelligence report will get overlooked. The big thing about that too is, and I, I think I'm using the correct term here, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the ability for the, in, the individual to have introspective, right, where you can look down on yourself. It's like metacognition, where you're thinking about how you thought about something. You're looking at it from a different angle to reanalyze yourself. So if you're saying, I just want to shoot dudes in the face, you don't have the ability to think about your thought process to change how you're seeing the conditions in front of you. You can't take that second, that, that look behind the shoulder to say, hey, here are my, you can't look at it, you have the inability to look at this as a chess game. Instead, you're looking at it as a checkers game. And yeah. while speed and creativity are key factors in the battlefield, the sniper has the ability, and it's like 3D chess, the sniper has the ability to be the prince in, in multiple domains and layers to move about the battle space freely yeah. and collect information on different scales and you're, different levels. You're focusing on, on a, such a small aspect of something that you're losing the big picture. And exactly. Not, yep. not what we're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I remember uh, kind of standing outside the room and, and waiting for everyone to go into the board, and I explained in the first podcast about you asking me that question, are you ready to dedicate your life to this? And that's when it kind of clicked in my brain, like, hey, this is not just check your parallax, watch your wind, and send a bullet down range. This is much different. This is, this is more of like a samurai approach to things. This is a masterless craft that I can't just go to sniper school, come back, and think I'm a qualified sniper at that point because I have so much more information to learn about. I have so much more to train. So it's, it's like to follow on with after selection, but there's, there's another level of expectation about the soldier as they continue through that path. No, you, you absolutely can't just check the block. Um, they're, they're perishable skills to begin with. Everything um, that you do is going to be a perishable skill in this. Uh, learning to read wind, learning to, um, to shoot. These are things you constantly have to keep up with. And without um, continually training on them, you will eventually spiral uh, down into the ability to maintain your skills. Yeah. You just lose the ability to stay proficient is what it is. Yeah. So, you know, that. with that being said, I took a, after I got out of the Army, I took a little bit of break from, from the long gun world. And even before I got out, I went to an R&D, a research and development facility, and I did stuff there. And even then I lost... I lost the ability to, to call wind. You can lose it very, very quickly. And in fact, this, this past weekend, I shot the New England Precision Rifle Series match. And that is a very difficult match. And when we were in Kansas, one of the things that we were taught about is wind there. And it's left to right at 40 miles an hour. Yeah. But it's consistent at 40 miles an hour. It's very plains. You have uh, not, you don't really get rolling winds until you get into the draws of that, that big plateau area. Where versus New England... It's ex- it can be extremely mountainous. You have low variable winds at 10, 12, 15 miles an hour. 
but it changes every 200 meters. You have completely different wind gradients Cross all the way winds, through. Yep. Um, different yeah. heights. You have a, a right-to-left wind at 50 feet off the ground, and at 10 feet off the ground, you have a left-to-right, yeah, right-to-left at 50 feet, think of, of the opposite winds. direction at you know half that distance, and there are two different wind speeds. And then you got to think of uh, winds at altitude between valleys. Yep. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different challenges and when you get into this craft there's not just okay well he's only going to be in Kansas or he's going to be in Sodder City or he's only going to be shooting in this environment no this individual has to constantly be learning how to shoot all over the world in all different types of terrains and conditions you are truly having to to master and remaster these techniques over and over and over again because you only get one shot it's not like i can just have my target wait so i can send around readjust data send another round readjust no i get one cold bore shot that's true if you've been sitting a hide for for a few days and let's say you're work, looking for a certain Taliban commander and that dude pops his head out of one building for 30 seconds to take a smoke that's all you got dude and you better and you haven't collect, collected data for days because you've been sitting there you know one thing about that is very unique and I would even say I don't want to say it's unique I guess I would say uh, what's unique about the weather in terms of seasons is that you could have it 40 degrees in the morning and 80 degrees in the afternoon. And your data is collected, you know, at certain times. And you, and and you have to pick... You have to do that math. You have to pick people that are constantly on the refresh button. They, they almost have to be hyperactive individuals with an extreme level of maturity. You know, instead of just sitting there saying, okay, I'm here, I'm getting paid. No, what am I doing? I've got to draw this picture of this. Okay, I've got to recheck my radio. I've got to recheck my gun. What is wind doing now? What is Mirage doing now? What is the sun's position right now? What is the village doing right now? I've got so much information. I've got to find the exact right person because the... You're literally trying to align the galaxy. Yes. When it comes to finding that, that perfect person and then someone that you can instill those disciplines into. So it's, it's very difficult, which is why after you have your selection process, you should probably have a long period of time afterwards where there's a probationary period. So, I remember being in the probationary period, and our, ours got unique because I remember you went on some leave and took some time to kind of heal up an injury that you had, and you got some surgery, and the new section started that was taken in for you periodically just changed up the, the probationary period. And I, and I agree and disagree with his approach to it, but he was a young soldier at the time, and now looking back, he, he brought plenty of good things to the table, but also at the same time, he, didn't really, he was kind of lost in his way. 
and funny, which is part of that creativity aspect, and that's why he was selected in the there, first there place. There were also some um, upper echelon issues that... Um, it was the politics of the situation. It, it was it was the politics of it where they which, had which you're gonna get it. They at had any ranges. Level. Well, they had ranges coming up, and they wanted soldiers back to cover down and become qualified gun teams. There were some other issues that were going on that I couldn't hold on to my extras for for long. Yeah, it was just essentially so, at the end of the day, it was just a political. Which you're gonna get at every echelon in the army, whether you're a cook. A uh, truck driver, or you're you're literally an IT guy. That yeah, and it, it was, stuff there, there were things that were just outside of my control. Right. That I got as much time as I could, and some things were just out of my control. That's anywhere. So, which is actually a good point because in those situations when things are out of your control, you want that individual that can recognize that they're out of their control and maneuver within their creativity space. Yeah. To, to change for the better what they can control. Well, when I briefed the sergeant major and I said, okay, hey, this is my ideal probationary situation. I said, I want these guys for 30 days and then after those 30, so I, I'll select my individuals. Your initial basket. I'm going to have a few extras because I was authorized uh, 10 individuals in my section. I picked, uh, I want to say 13, and then I had to be down to my 10 uh, in 30 days. At the end of your probationary time. So I said, okay, at the end of my 30 days, I'll be down to my 10. I'll send my other three back. So so for the listeners, there there is a probationary period. You just don't get selected and then boom, you're in a sniper section, you go to sniper school. You have to you have to do some times, to some time, in the team, and, and from what I understand it as is that's so the team can identify that you're just a good person, that you connect well with everyone's personalities, and that you're not having that that ego that you think you're better than everyone else because you made it through a selection. It's that check your ego at the door. You're part of a team now, and if you don't work well together, you could possibly get a lot of people killed. Not just your sniper team, but a lot more people. Yeah, uh, the section needs to understand not only that you can make it the long haul. Okay, you made it two weeks uh, selection process. Congratulations. Are you going to make it the next 20 years in this craft? That's two weeks. I can hold my breath for two weeks. (laughs) 20 years is a long time. So... I'd keep them for 30 days, make sure they were the right personality, they could stick to it. Um, and we started out with simple things. We, it became an incredible, uh, incredibly difficult uh, 30-day process. I wanted to set that tempo... In Just s- extremely high. Insanely high. Um, so that you know that... You you are are nothing. You are an ant. You are an amoeba um, when it comes to everything. Yeah, you're the new guy in the block. You have Uh, to earn your Not just that. Everybody was. Um, Even myself as the section sergeant would be going through a lot of these hard times um, because we had to show each other that we all could be trusted 
um, go on long runs. So you take a six month. We do uh, teach uh, teach classes. Each individual was required to teach a class. Now I believe in a um, a section needs to be kind of like uh, King Arthur's Round Table. Now King Arthur had that round table. All the knights sat around it. Now King Arthur ultimately had the the final say. I was essentially King Arthur. I had the final say because you're in charge came, of everyone. When it came to the section, it was my ass in the sling. But not one of my privates, NCOs or whatnot, um, was allowed to shut the other ones down because I didn't know where a good idea was going to come from. That's that, that's that creativity aspect. Um, and I wanted to hear what my privates had to come up with because I'll be damned if you guys didn't come up with some of the greatest ideas I'd ever heard. <laughs> and I sat back and when we planned missions, I would be the devil's advocate. You know, Justin, you'd come up with an idea. I'd poke a couple of holes in it. Then um, Joe would come up with another way to fill those holes in and I'd poke one or two more holes and then Steve would come up with an idea and by the time I couldn't poke any holes in it there's our mission and everybody had buy-in on the mission because they had created it and, and it was ultimately very successful for us um, I also gave individuals classes to present whether you knew anything about that class or not Justin I think I might have given you the class on like you, you actually gave me a class on, on canine dog tracking and I remember this because yeah. because during the, the board you're like oh you've been to canine tracking school and I was like yeah I went to a canine tracking school I did a deployment as a dog handler you're like alright do you shoot the dog or do you shoot the handler first and as soon as you asked that question Everyone that was a panel member on the board chimed in. Like the room was just an explosive chatterbox. And I was like, I was like, well, dogs don't shoot back. They just run really fast. And it got really quiet in the room. And I think it was kind of like the, yeah, the guy with the rifle should get shot first because the dog, well, it can clear the distance. It can't shoot back at me. And I have time to rack another round and shoot the dog. But I don't have time to stop a bullet. And I can't stop the bullet unless I shoot first. And I remember teaching the class about scent and, and wind variables and all that sort of stuff and how to take yeah, out well, those certain teams, which if you look at history, just tracking as a jungle, for example, just tracking reconnaissance teams in the jungle, the North Vietnamese use tracker dogs all the time to track Green Berets through the jungle. We used dogs to track guys through the jungle and reestablish contact. There's, there's a true element to having multiple experiences and multiple good ideas across the entire, as you would say, the round table. And, and that was one, I will admit, that is one thing that I appreciated, that as a new guy in the section, even though I had two combat deployments to Afghanistan at that time, I was allowed to give my feedback to guys that were already Bravo, Bravo 4 qualified, they were sniper qualified, and they could take those ideas. We could mature them to be on levels that I couldn't think of outside of my own box. And it generated that creativity by being... Um, a relaxed, uh, uh, allowable approach. 
And, and to further this, when I was a kid, so my grandfather was actually a Korean War infantry vet. And he said, hey, if you want to get something done, you always send the laziest person to get it done. They'll get it done the fastest. And not to say that you were lazy, but you're always like, hey, figure this out. You gave us the opportunity to be creatively advanced but lazy at the same time. And that laziness was how do I do it most effectively to get it done the fastest? How do I maintain standards? How do I get it done effectively? And that drove but I motivation always, within the section. But I always held you... To a, a standard. To the highest standard that could possibly be achieved, and then I required you to improve that standard. That's true. So I would hand things off, and I would say, how do you do this? You figure it out. I already know it. So as you, in, in theory, you already know it. As you stumbled through, I would say, have you thought about this? And you'd be like, oh, so you're already having, <laughs> instead of having you just hear information, I'm making you work information. Right. And now you're learning the process, and the process is far more informational than the, um, the actual outcome. I can tell you how to go PMCS a truck. Which is, which is how to conduct preventative maintenance checks and but, services. Teaching you how to read the manual properly so that you know how to PMCS the truck yourself means that you can read a manual to do any truck besides the one that I taught you how to do. So you're talking about furthering education on your own. Exactly. Not just show, giving you the fish, but teaching you how to fish. Gotcha. So, so I talked to you earlier about this, and I told you uh, earlier we did the mini podcast with Sepp, the yeah. the German sniper in the Wehrmacht, and and in the book he highlights a couple of rules that when he got to sniper school, I told you about this. I didn't tell you what the rules were, but there are essentially eight rules that he received when he first got to sniper school. And I wanted to bring this up to you, kind of unbeknownst to you, but giving you a little bit of warning. Because I wanted to hear your feedback from a selection process, so we'll just we'll just break down, uh, you know, each each rule. We'll talk a few minutes about it. So the first rule is one: the sniper is the hunter among soldiers. Totally agree. Um, the best that I have ever seen have have just been straight up hunters. I mean, guys that. That lived in the woods their whole lives. They are quiet. They're disciplined. They just they're comfortable out in the woods. Um, I don't know how much how else to say. We can get into a whole different broadcast on those types of things. But he is a hunter. He is a samurai. It takes years to develop these skills. You don't just step into the woods and... Boom, you're a hunter. Yeah, you're boom, you're a hunter. No. The, the Native Americans... They spent their entire life becoming perf- perfectionists Becoming of a hunter in the Native Americans was, was a, a class of its own. It was very honored. So we have to look at it like that. All right, so number two. His job is 
again, these are things that were posted at the German sniper school in Berlin in World War II. So these these are true straight from the original, I don't say the original sniper schoolhouse, but the Russians, the Germans, and, and the British were like, in my opinion, the three biggest sniper schools to ever generate originally in the yeah, history we're of... We're talking about the forefathers of... Yeah, exactly, of modern education of sniping. Mm-hmm. Right, so number two, his job is difficult and demands the dedication of body, soul, and mind. Absolutely. Um, one of if I if I could go back now and recommend something to myself uh, as a section sergeant, um, <laughs> as stupid as this sounds, uh, and it, um, I would go start training your uh, soldiers into uh, yoga. Um, getting into a very mindful body, meditative state. Um, you have got to be very mindful of yourself and your body. Um, having trained in, in some yoga myself and taken some classes, it would be very helpful towards a sniper. So yes, I, I can see that all three of those are super important. All right, number three. Only a thoroughly convinced and steadfast soldier can become a sniper. You have to have, yeah. Uh, Once again, I I can't just... It kind of reiterates number two, like, it's body, soul, and mind. It's the same thing, but it's, I would say, it it capitalizes on the mind portion. Like, there are going to be times where you're going to waver... And say that this sucks. I, sh- I I could go to the line. I could be comfortable hanging around Bradley's, being in a cold, you know, being in a warm hut every night. That's the dedication of mind and steadfast, meaning under pressure. You have to be able to push that aside and and stay steadfast, knowing that that there are men right now, and you I should almost, say service service members relying on your skills and confidence. You you almost have to have a. Um, a masochistic relationship with your body and and the mission because it is going to throw everything at you and you just have to learn to love the suck. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and, you know, everyone says love to suck, but it's not necessarily... There's a deeper meaning to that. And that deeper meaning is that you have to be able to build yourself to... To have endurance in hard times. And an example for this would be the Japanese snipers during the Pacific campaign. The Japanese snipers could hang out in trees for days and not eat, not sleep, where the American sniper back in the Pacific campaign could not do that. The Japanese sniper had such a long endurance. It, ultimately, once the Americans picked up on their, their tactics, that we could easily eliminate their snipers. But for a long time... The Japanese snipers reigned supreme in the jungle because they could endure such physical and mental hardships in trees by attaching themselves to trees that they could dominate a very small battle, face, battle space with precision fires. And because in a jungle, sounds echo over everything, and it's very hard to pinpoint. So that just capitalizes it on it even more. But So anyway, number four, it is only possible to destroy an enemy if one has learnt to hate and persecute him with 
all the strength in one's soul. Judging by the look on your face, I can see the moral confliction in this. And there's a reason why I brought this up, because in the book, and I want to explain this to you before you answer it, because I see the moral confliction on your face, because I, I almost see you don't know how to answer it, because you want to answer it like, well, that's not true. But at the same time, you have to understand what you're doing, and it's okay to have a certain hate and discontent towards the enemy, especially if they're hurting your buddies. You have to understand that these rules were posted in late 42 era time frame when the Germans were on their heels the Russians were throwing everything they had at the Germans this is after the battle of Stalingrad so the right, Germans so let's, are let's, the Germans are getting slaughtered let's read this one again for uh... okay it is only possible to destroy an enemy if one has learned to hate and persecute him meaning the enemy with all the strength in one's soul I, I'm going to disagree with this one. Um, I, I, think, I think there's a place for an absolute discipline in oneself or, or lack of lack of feeling um, This is a really hard question, Brad. Yeah, I, can, I mean, I can see the moral confliction on your face. I I don't need a reason. I don't need to hate somebody. I, there's. So if I were going against somebody. That I had a lot of respect for. You know, I I could still kill them. I mean, I can. Go out onto a mission against. Somebody that was, uh, say somebody was uh, uh, called a domestic terrorist, but I felt that that person was actually a freedom fighter. Now, I'd been given orders that I need to take this individual out. Well, I have orders. They're orders. I have a lot of respect for this individual I'm going to hunt him to the best of my ability and do all of these things. I don't need to have my absolute contempt for him. So, no, I'm not going to agree with this one necessarily. The reason I brought up about, just think about how the, the Germans versus the Russians were. That was a nasty, like, backstabbing, bloody conflict between individuals. No, I can, so, I can I, see I where it, it was created, but... It, I would say back... In, it, it, this is created to identify the psychological aspect of of the ability to put out of your mind that that person could be like me because regardless of how you feel looking through that optic, you don't know who that person is. You don't know how they're feeling. You don't know what they're thinking. You have to put that out of your mind. I would and say, I would say that if it was to be rewarded, it, how do, the question is how do we reward this? And I would say the rewarding is you have to, a sniper understands his mission and the second and third order effects, and must take that into consideration when engaging his targets. That would be more appropriate. I would say so. Um, but I, this I would look at it more along the um, the samurai bushido code, where it's just you are dedicated to this craft. When this craft says 
draws a number, it's that person's number. It's that time you execute that job regardless of love or hate. You do it professionally. Yes, it is It is a very professional um, job. Emotionless. No, that's not true. You can have emotion in this. Absolutely. Um, you... you you control the emotion. It is a discipline on your emotions. You look at the chess piece versus the checker piece. So it it has to be a give there. I don't I don't want to have utter contempt because that contempt will control me. Right. I need to control my contempt. Alright, so number five. A sniper is a man apart from the common soldier. <laughs> 110%. Yes. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next moving on to the next one. Uh, we get that. We've already discussed it. There's a reason why we have a selection process and the regular infantry doesn't. <laughs> or the regular cavalry doesn't have a selection process yet. There's a reason why it's its own podcast. Moving yeah, on. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Number six, he fights unseen. Or not for long. <laughs> I mean, when you said your first round's down range, you shoot and move. Yes. Um... A, a that that's the epitome you, you you don't last very long otherwise um you are the shadows you are the eyes in the shadows um your job is more collecting and reporting battlefield data and just it's more a third person perspective the the absolute sheer terror that that there is a bump in the night waiting for somebody, the boogeyman under the bed, that is an absolute professional, is is what drives that um, that enemy into the ground emotionally, psychologically. That is the weapon that they are. It's not the one bullet in the in the air. Gotcha. All right. So number seven, you're gonna get a little you're gonna get a little laugh out of this because it's it's so interesting the way that it's worded, but it's straight from the book, and I, I couldn't help but but just write it down the way it was because I couldn't help but laugh. So number seven out of out of eight. The sniper's strength is based on red Indian-like use of territory linked to perfect camouflage cat-like ability and mastery of his rifle. That is a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> it is. When I read this, um, I had to read it like two or three times. I was like, I was like, okay, yeah, that's I, what is going on right now? No. Why are you even comparing the American Native American, like the American Indian? To the German sniper, they have no relation no, that, in terms of geographic position. No, um, read that one more time for the listeners. I've I've got where you're going with this. Okay, nice so and slow. His this his strength, meaning the sniper, is based on red Indian like use of territory, linked to perfect camouflage, cat like ability, and mastery of his rifle. So. Pause and you think on that. The Native Americans terrified 
individuals moving west because they would pop out of nowhere and do raiding party. That is essentially what it's not. It's just these cat-like reflexes. They come out of nowhere. They disappear into nowhere. They're the ninjas. That is essentially what he is saying. Yes. Um, that disciplined along with the the samurai mentality of of soldiering yes so you agree with that statement yes okay number eight and the last one awareness of his abilities meaning the sniper awareness of the sniper's abilities gives him the sureness and superiority which guarantees success You want me to read it again? Because I can see the I can see the confusion in your face. No, I. I'll read it one more time. Ready? Awareness of the sniper's ability gives the sniper the sureness and superiority, which guarantees success. We're getting right back into what was it like number two that was supported number was supported by number three. Um, body mind soul yeah you're you're getting right back into that kind of body mind soul um yeah it, so it's re-emphasizing it's, the it's, pure re, dedication. it's really emph- emphasizing once you are dedicated and you know you're dedicated and you've got your mind set on it look if you if you have anybody in any field if you dedicate your mind heart body soul into playing a guitar, piano, ballet, whatever it is your discipline is, and you give yourself 110% to it, you are eventually going to master it on a level that no one else can comprehend. But even then, even then it's not masterless. You're just at a, you're just at a higher level than everyone else, and you continue to push. And that's so one thing by, I will by say. By other people's definition, you will have mastered it. Right. Right, and that's what we are talking about in this craft. Is you and I recognize it as a masterless craft, where others are saying you passed your Bravo four and you've mastered it, or it's, or in the Marine Corps side you've become an O three seventeen. Yes, what we're saying is is not a masterless class. It is. It is an endless dedication. Okay, congratulations. You learned to play a few notes on the guitar. No. You will never be good enough. No, you will never be able to be in the Russian ballet, and you'll never be good enough in the Russian ballet once you're there. There is nothing ever, ever good enough. And that is what ultimately we are. All right. So, so we're pushing up on an hour of this podcast, and I remember when we talked before, you're like, 30 minutes, that's it. That's all your audience is going to listen to. And I told you this was going to go fast, and you don't realize it's going to be an hour. So, in closing, do you think, looking at it now, that you have dedicated your entire life up to this point to being a sniper, just like you asked me that day when I was in the board? Ouch. <laughs> 
I was waiting this whole week. I was waiting to ask you that question because because as as a leader, as a leader, you had such a profound impact on me. And ultimately, and this may plug at your heartstrings a little bit, you ultimately saved my life in the grand scheme of my my life and, and finding my purpose. You gave me something that I can dedicate the rest of my life. And ultimately, I can teach my son this craft. And not just to be a sniper, but to understand creativity, understand influence, understand mathematics and how it's important, and understand the second and third order effects of everything that you do say influence or come in contact with. And outside of the long gun precision world, you've ultimately taught me how to raise my son. And that's why I've asked you today if you've dedicated your life to becoming a sniper because your second and third order effects are now affecting multiple generations. As for becoming a sniper, um, putting bullets down range, gathering reconnaissance, no. I have not dedicated my life fully to that. What I am dedicating my life to is trying to pass on those leadership qualities that I was not given, but learned the hard way. The things that made you go into those directions, things that I learned um, and exercised in the sniper section. The sniper section gave me my life back when I lost everything. Um, I remember when I came into section and you said to me, we're going to pick you up. And I remember I asked you why. Why did you pick me up? And you said, because you have skeletons in your closet. However, those skeletons in your closet mean you just need a family. And that sniper section and this craft have been the biggest family I've ever had. And ultimately made it so that I can raise my own family. And, and really, I'm not, I have not dedicated myself in the aspect of pulling triggers, but finding and developing the appropriate young men that are ready to listen and receive information like you were. You came to the section and asked, what can I do to join you? And you were ready to receive and you built everything that you have now with a little bit of guidance that I gave. So I want to continue that type of mentorship with others. If I find another student that wishes to receive as well as you did, I will never turn that individual away. Well, I appreciate everything you've done for me. I appreciate everything you've done for my family. And uh, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So... Hopefully someone picks this up and runs with it, and hopefully there's a sniper section starting out there that really thinks about their position and uses it to the advantage that you gave me. And I hope there's a young soldier somewhere that's like, I'm not going to go to section, and then listen to this podcast and changes their mind because we need 
snipers. In the future conflict, the man with the rifle will dominate. As much as we're talking about drones and technology, eventually, at some point, technology will cancel itself out. And at the end of the day, we're going to revert back to the man with the rifle, the carrier pigeon, and the runner to relay information because telephone lines will get cut, information will get intercepted, and ultimately the sniper will become the dominant figure on the battlefield. Whether or not it is the sniper craft, dedicate yourself 100% mind, body, and soul. Because that is really ultimately the only way that you are going to excel. All right. Well, that's why we're here. So, in closing, thank you for tuning into the podcast. Again, my name is Justin Clady. I'm your spotter. Again, the guest on tonight was Jedediah Robbins. From the tall grass, one shot, one kill.